This message was presented at the GYC 2017 conference, Arise, in Phoenix, Arizona. For other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time to study your word, to study science, and the messages you've given us, the prophetic message you've given us. I pray that your Holy Spirit would rain down, that lives would be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So, now, this first point is not actually part of this message, but people generally ask. We've talked about the gut-brain connection, and anybody who's done any studies into the gut-brain connection, they have multiple questions. So I'm going to spend like two minutes talking about the gut-brain connection, and then we'll spend some time at the end of this message. But the rest of it's about health, a vision of what could be. But the first part of this is many people see, if you read about the gut-brain connection, you, you hear that having a good diversity of gut bacteria is good for your mental state, which is what science shows. But many people then say, well, then maybe we should start eating the fermented foods because there's bacteria in there, and so we should eat pickles and these kinds of things. So the question is, what about pickled food? Is that good for the gut? This is what all the the pop ideas of the Internet would say, but we're not looking about what popular ideas on the Internet are. We're looking at what does science show and what does God tell us, right? That's, that's more interesting than just people's opinions on the internet or people with blogs or opinions. So uh, let's look at this. Here is a study on pickled food and risk of gastric cancer, a systematic review of met- and meta-analysis of English and Chinese literature. So not as exciting as a popular blog, but it's a scientific study, right? A, a review of studies, actually. This is a review of 60 different studies. So this is, this is quite the review. 50 case-controlled and 10 prospective studies that, that had been conducted. And what did they discover? Is it good for our microbiome to give us more bacteria in our gut? That's the question. And let's find out. What they discovered is that there was a 50% increased risk of gastric cancer for those who consumed pickled vegetables. Now, does that sound like it would be good for your microbiome, for the bacteria in your gut? No, right? Now, this is contrary to what popular opinions on the internet might say, but this is the science instead of just, you know, like, you know, opinion or whatever. So, uh, but let's go further. Here's vegetables, lower your chances of breast cancer, Pickled vegetables increases your chance of breast cancer. So this is what they found a study reported in the the journal Nutrition and Cancer showed that vegetable consumption lowers your risk of breast cancer. Fantastic. While pickled vegetables increases your chances. So once again, this idea. Now, you know, maybe God could have just told us that these things weren't good for us. Guess what? He told us exactly this just over 100 years ago, right? I mean, we we're, were specifically told, and now, now I realize, somehow, I had the slide. I, I, I had something prepared. I had found, and I, obviously, it's, let me see, can I find it? it? I must have erased it or something because it's not there. But Ellen White tells us specifically that not, not to eat these things, not to consume these foods. And it's not that God tries to keep us away from things to keep us from something we like the flavor of. It's because he wants to enhance our health and he wants to enhance our happiness, right? This is what he wants to do. Um, so this is, this is very interesting, but this is not the point of our message. I didn't come here to talk about pickles, but people wonder about that in the light of the gut-brain connection since we talked about that. But this is what I really wanted to start with here. This was the plan of what to start with. Luke chapter 9, verse 2. 
It says that he, which is Jesus, sent them, who? The disciples. He sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the what? Sick. Meaning Jesus had a twofold ministry for himself, but then he also had a twofold ministry for his disciples, right? For his disciples. And so what were those two things? Preaching and healing, or you could say teaching and healing, if you were to use just maybe secular terminology. But he would want to teach and he would want to heal. And that is the, that is the same thing. Do you know that all of us are called to do those two things? You think, no, no, I'm not a doctor. Chad, I'm not a dietitian or a, I don't have my master's in public health, so I'm not called to do those things. But did you know that all of us are called to do those same two things? To teach people the truth of the gospel, the truth of the kingdom of God, that Jesus is coming again to prepare them for Jesus, and number two, to help heal people that have various diseases. And so this is what we're talking about here. God has given us a vision of what could be. Uh, Psalms 103 verse 3 speaks of God as the one who forgives all our sins and the one who heals all our what? Diseases. Do you see that these two things are combined? Healing and the spiritual walk, right? Healing people from their sins and healing people, people of their diseases. And so God wants to mingle these things together in our lives and also in our work. This is from the preface to the book Medical Ministry by Ellen White. She didn't write this. This is uh, the compilers wrote these words. They said the promulgation of the health message was for 50 years a topic of major concern to Ellen White. You probably didn't know this. She wrote more in the field of health than on any other single topic of counsel. Why would God send a woman to give us more information? Now, I, I think she gave more information on Jesus than anything else. But when you look at topics of counsel, the one that she spoke on the most is what? Health. Jesus is number one. And number two, right after that was the health work. Jesus had a twofold ministry for his people. And it was what? Teaching and healing, right? So we have these two things. God gave these things to us. Ellen White spoke more about this than any other issue. And she tells us soon there will be no work done in ministerial lines except medical missionary work. Soon there's going to be no work done in any line except for medical ministry. Now, this must be important then, right? And we all must then want to be a part of it if we're going to do ministry because all of us are meant to be ministers for Christ. Men, women, all of us are meant to minister and share the gospel, right? So why were we given the health? Why, why did God give us the health message? Why did he give this to us? This is from a book called Councils on Health. I've been trying to read through Ellen, everything Ellen White says on the subject of health because she, she is the foundation. If you, th this is the way I see it. Uh, if you go and you read, if I showed you the actual, they did a study. What they did is, science, you're told that science is replicable and it is self-verifiable. Studies are done. And when studies are done, somebody else can replicate the study and then prove whether the first study was true or not. That's true. That makes logical sense. The reality is, is almost nobody replicates a study. Because why would you spend $10 million to prove the same thing someone else already proved? So it's not that it never happens, but it's very unlikely and it doesn't happen very often for somebody to replicate a study because, number one, you get no credit for it. 
Like the, that guy proved it, and you're just, you're just like piggybacking off what he already said. I mean, what's the point, right? But somebody actually, they actually, uh, a medical, or not a medical, a scientific group actually somehow gained the funding to do like, I think it was around 60 different studies in psychology to see if they, would, if they replicated them, if they turned out to be the same, same results. And it turned out somewhere about 60% of them, when they were replicated, did not turn out the same as the first study. So that means 60, close to 60% of studies in psychology are probably not true. So people thought, well, that's psychology. That's like funny science. It's really not very solid. You know, it's not like, it's not like real medical hardcore science, right? So then they actually went to the medical field and tested medical science. What did they find? Actually, I actually have the information, but I didn't put it in this, in this slides. They found that it was actually worse for medical science. It was actually about 70% of the studies did not turn out to be the same as they were in the original. You're like, Chad, well, then why do you even teach us about health? Who knows what is true? And, and, and we're told, and even in, I won't say where, we're told that in, in this institution, 50% of what we teach you is not true. The trouble is we don't know what 50% that is. Wow. Here's the thing. Is that true? We need to go through life not knowing what truth is. We just have to walk about like, like out a ship out to sea with no compass, right? No. We've been given the foundation. We've been told beforehand what the science would show, right? And so if you want to know the truth before everybody else, you know, uh, even, even Kellogg himself, people ask Kellogg, how is it that you don't get caught up in the, in the, you know, pop science of the day that turns out in several years to not be true? How is it that you're always accurate over and over and over? And what did he say? Well, I just read the spirit of prophecy. And if it says, if, if it goes against the spirit of prophecy, I'm sorry, then I know that it's not true. If it goes against it, I know it's not true. So I just avoid it. But if it fits, if the new science that comes out fits with the spirit of prophecy, well, then it must be true. And guess what? It always works. And it's worked until 2017. And it'll go right on into 2018. It just continues because God gave us this message. Now, this is interesting. She says, let it ever be kept before the mind that the great object of hygienic reform is to secure the highest possible development of mind and soul and body. But I love this next part. Notice what it says. All the laws of nature, which are the laws of God, are designed for what? Our God. We've already looked at Deuteronomy 6.24. It's for our good always. Obedience to them will promote our what? Happiness in this life and will aid us in a preparation for the life to come. God gave us the health message partially to make us happy. He wants you to be happy. So all of heaven is working together to bring about, we're told this, all of heaven will work together to bring about your happiness. What a strange thought that heaven is working for that. But the thing is, heaven's trying to bring us true happiness. Happiness that we can only acquire through following God's principles, a peace that passes understanding. It's interesting when we look, about, look at happiness in children. So closely is health related to our happiness that we cannot have the latter without the former. A practical knowledge of the science of human life is necessary in order to glorify God in our bodies. It is therefore of the highest importance that among the studies selected for childhood, physiology should occupy the first place. So when you're training your child, you're like, son, you've hit four years old. It's time to study physiology. Well, that's kind of interesting. Whoever would have guessed that, right? Son, are you ready to learn physiology? All right. Now, so what does that mean? Well, obviously, there's deep intricacies of physiology that would be so deep a three or four or five, a six or seven-year-old would never understand. 
But as they're, as they're three and four and as their mind is beginning to understand, you can teach them very simple principles of truth that are genuinely true and they will begin to understand maybe why they feel so cranky. Maybe why they, they're hurting or this or that. You can begin to teach them physiology. It's the, the a first place in their studies outside of spiritual things should be physiology, right? So, phys, you know, spiritual things first, obviously. She's not negating that. But it says here, it says it should occupy the first place, physiology. How few know anything about the structure and functions of their own bodies and of nature's laws? Many are drifting about without knowledge, like a ship at sea without compass or anchor. And what is more, they are not interested to learn how to keep their bodies in a healthy condition and prevent disease. So we can teach our children right from the beginning. And so then our little children will be like little scientists. They don't even need to learn to read right away. You can just tell, honestly, did you know that kids who learn to read later actually catch up to the kids who learn earlier and surpass them? Ellen White told us that, didn't she? She said, they, she said you know, between the ages of, it should be more like the ages of seven to 10, but we think it's like four or five, right? And the kids who do that, they look like little geniuses, but then the kids who don't like look, look like little geniuses actually surpass them later on. This is what the science is showing. She's right again. I mean, it's unreal. Everything you read ends up turning to be true. I love science, and that's why I study these things, and it just boggles my mind every time. My wife and I, when we study these things regularly, we have this saying, every day. Well, what does that mean? That means like every day I find a new study that backs up something she said over 100 years ago. It's just, I mean, that's when I'm regularly studying it. It's absolutely amazing. So do we really, though, okay, this whole health message Adventists are into, do we really want the world to know us as a people with a health message? You know, sometimes you hear in church like, you know, we don't want people to think like, you know, oh, those are the guys that are into health and they're into, you know, plant-based diet. And, and we don't want to be known as those people, right? Well, that's a good question. Let's find out. Seventh-day Adventists are to be represented to the world by the advanced principles of health reform, which God has given us. Maybe we do want to be known as those people. Maybe we want to be the people that are on CNN and Anderson Cooper is like, I want to become more like that. That's what he said about us, right? He saw these old Adventist women who are like 97 and 100 years old, and he's like, I totally don't live that lifestyle, but I really want to start. Maybe that is the kind of people we want to be. The kind of people that people look at are like, that's amazing. These people are old, but they're still healthy. They're still happy. They still have their mind. We don't want to all be old. I mean, it's fine to be young, right? But the point is, you could have the blessings of this message even in your youth, right? And you could take this all throughout your life. God has given us this. I'm going to show you another video clip from Ancient Health, uh, kind of that fits with what we just read right there. As we look at the world today, investigations have been done into current society and looking for places where people live the longest and the healthiest. Something that caught my attention is something called the Blue Zones. It's a book written by Dan Buettner from National Geographic magazine. Blue Zones are places in the world where people not only live long lives, but they're actually healthy at these advanced ages. Where you have people that are in the zone, the Blue Zone, they're living a long time. So Sardinia, the Okinawans, the Costa Ricans, or in America, uh, the Seventh-day Adventist. He found five zones in the world, and one of them is Loma Linda, California, which is a high concentration of Seventh-day Adventists. One of the group of people that's been studied the most in modern science in this world are Seventh-day Adventists. Scientists have wondered, why is it that these uh, individuals have lived 
so much longer. Seventh-day Adventists actually live significantly longer than any other group of people on the face of the earth. They're the only blue zone that is increasing in longevity. So they've started doing studies to look at that. And there's been a number of studies, for instance, done on Seventh-day Adventists here in America, sponsored by the U.S. government and other groups to unlock that question. The Adventist mortality study showed that Adventists had death rates from all cancers that was 60% lower for Adventist men and 76% lower for Adventist women. Lung cancer, 21% lower. Colorectal cancer, 62% lower. Breast cancer, 85% lower. The basis for this longevity, this quality of life, is the lifestyle changes. They have less heart disease, less cancer. From the time I was 75 until I was 95, I assisted cardiac surgeons in the Los Angeles area. And I quit assisting in cardiac surgery because I wanted to quit while I was still able to make that decision. In other words, my problems of my advanced years would not make me quit. But the fact is, I could do cardiac surgery today. They actually uh, have a higher quality of life, and if they follow the health principles that they know of, they will live on average 15 years longer than people living next door to them. So the Adventist mortality study really woke people up. They said, wow, that is significant. 60, 70% lower, we need to look even closer. Well, they're the most likely to reach the age of 100 and reach it with a health of mind that's still there uh, and still be able to, um, uh, to do a lot of things. And we're finding that when people embrace this, regardless of ethnicity, genetic background, we're finding that, that we're finding longevity, more years and more life in the years. When we look at this population of Adventists, we note that they have eight lifestyle choices. These eight lifestyle principles have been summed up in an acronym known as New Start. And when you talk about the diseases that threaten Americans, you don't think about uh, cholera or malaria or typhoid. You think about breast cancer, colon cancer, strokes, heart attacks. These are the things that Americans fear. And the scientific research clearly shows that the rich Western diet is at the heart of all these diseases. Let's look at two of the killer diseases in America today, diabetes and high blood pressure. Adult onset diabetes. We don't call it adult onset diabetes anymore. You know why? Because we're seeing it in children. We call it type 2 diabetes now. We've got an epidemic. Believe me, you don't want diabetes. It's the number one cause of amputation, the number one cause of kidney disease, and number one cause of blindness. In the most recent data, when they look at Seventh-day Adventists, they find some are eating very similar to the general American population. We would call them omnivores. They're eating quite a bit of meat and milk, eggs, cheese. They're the reference group, if you will. Not all Adventists live healthy, so you have the ones that live healthy and the ones that don't. And so you can study them as a subgroup. If you look then at those who start getting away from those animal products, they're eating them very seldom, you find that they only have maybe 60% of the risk of having high blood pressure or diabetes. You move to those who've gotten rid of the poultry and the red meat, they're just having fish and dairy products and uh, vegetarian sources of nutrition, they're cutting their risk roughly in half. It continues to go down until you get to the vegans among the Seventh-day Adventists. 
Again, totally related to what they ate. The vegans had much less problems with blood pressure. Those individuals have only one-fifth the likelihood of having diabetes and high blood pressure. It's quite interesting, isn't it? You know, uh, Dr. Wareham, the old doctor there, he's like, what, 103 now? We interviewed him at, at we, we, we were at his 100th birthday party, and we record, recorded him just after that for this. He was 100 years old at that time, and, you know, he quit, he quit doing surgery, uh, assisting cardiac surgeries in Los Angeles area at age 95. He told us, when I wake up in the morning, he says it on the documentary, when I wake up in the morning, I feel the same as I did when I was 35. Could you imagine being 100 and feeling like I do? <laughs> you know, like, I mean, how nice would that? I'm 37, but like, feel, I, listen, it, it, I would be happy to make it to 100 if I felt this good, right? Uh, and, but he said, I don't, my energy doesn't last as long through the day. So it's not like he could you know, run around all day long. But still, to be that good is quite phenomenal. So here's the interesting thing. So what, what Don McIntosh said, actually, I think it was Ned Lee that said it. He said, if Adventists follow what they know to be true, They'll live how long? 15 years. 15 years uh, on average longer than their neighbors next door to them, right? But the key word there was if, right? Nobody's forced to. And I don't think we should force anybody to eat healthy, right? God gives us choice. And as I've already said, we should be able to sit down across the table from someone who eats totally different than us and be kind and loving to them. But even though I believe that, I have a goal to see Adventist lives changed and find the same benefit that I have, right? Meaning not push them, not force them, and not put them down. But just to say, listen, there's something so much better. I've tasted it. And you could try it. I'm going to show you the stats from the Adventist health study. So 48% of Adventists are non-vegetarian. 6% are semi-vegetarian. Semi-vegetarian means they're not vegetarian. I mean, they just don't eat meat as often, right? And then pesco-vegetarian, pesco means fish vegetarian. I don't know if you've ever seen, but fish are not plants. So pesco-vegetarian is a little bit of an oxymoron, right? Like, there's no such thing as a fish vegetarian, right? Uh, so if, and then lacto-ovo-vegetarians, they're 28% of Adventists, and vegans are 8%. Now, if you really put together these three on the left, because all three of these groups are not vegetarian. So if we would be totally honest with ourselves here, we would see that 64% of Adventists are meat-eating Adventists, right? So the, the vast majority of Adventists, nearly two-thirds of Adventists, and then you have the little 28% that are veg and the vegans. But we already saw that vegetarian Adventist women have higher rates of cancer than meat-eating Adventists. Vegans have significantly less, right? Ellen White told us a time would come. Now, in her day, it wasn't initially there. It was still the animals were not as corrupted as they are today, but because of, our, because of what humanity has done, it's, it's caused more disease to come into these animals. And the high levels of, of dairy and cheese consumption seem to be causing higher levels to the Adventist vegetarian women. And so it's probably because of the toxicity, I'm guessing, because of the toxicity of these animals today. But the one group that has significantly less cancer are the vegans, very interestingly. So uh, this is just, I'm just sharing the stats from the Adventist Health Study. So, but here's the thing. Once again, nobody should be forced into this. Ellen White tells us something fascinating. Notice what she says here. She says, present the principles of temperance in their most attractive what? Form. 
So not bash people over the head and tell them you're going to be lost if you don't do this, right? That is a way to do it, but rather do it in the most beautiful way possible. Tell them of the benefits they could reap, the mental, the physical, the spiritual benefits, how it could get rid of their joint pain, how you actually don't need to lose your gallbladder. You can change your diet and have your gallstones disappear. How your type 2 diabetes and 95 plus percent of people can disappear with no drugs. How your heart disease can disappear with no drugs. How your life can be changed and you can reverse depression potentially with no drugs. I mean, and, and, and this is what the science is showing. And so we can present it in its most attractive form. And LMI has this other strange statement that I, uh, for, a, for quite a while I couldn't find it and then I found it again. She said that if we pre present the principles of health reform, she says, if we present them and people receive it, even from a selfish motive, that God can still use that to bring them closer to him. Isn't that interesting? That if somebody, if you're, you're teaching people, the public, about the health message, and they think, man, I, I, I have heart disease. My doctor tells me I'm probably going to have a heart attack. And they, they change their diet, change their lifestyle, get exercise, get out in the sun, live out the eight laws of health, and they do it just from a selfish motive, their mind will begin to clear up. Amen. And it will open them up to the gospel message. Isn't that powerful? God is so great that he, he will allow even selfish motives to bring us closer to him. Now, but should we do this as just a secular venture, just sharing, you know, the facts of science? Notice what she says in Medical Ministry, page 259. The principles of health reform are found where? In the word of God. The gospel of health is to be firmly linked with the ministry of the what? Of the word. So these things are to be firmly linked. Like I remember, I imagine like two chains being hooked together, right? That sounds kind of bad, chains, but, but meaning they're stuck together. Mixing the health with the word of God. These things are to be blended. This is what we are told. Now, I'll give you just a quick example. Now, this is just one. We, we talked about already how the benefits of sunshine. And then we saw in Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 7, the word of God says, Truly the light is sweet. And a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun, right? That there's a benefit to have the sun hit the eyes, not staring at the sun, but have the sun hitting the eyes. There's a, a, a joyous benefit to this. The Bible told us this. And my wife and I, we have the opportunity to, you know, speak in Europe. You know, we were in Iceland and you speak to atheists in these situations. And we mix the Bible and the health message. And you know what? We have never had an atheist get angry because we're not clobbering them over the head. We just share these things. I mean, I remember one young atheist lady, she's like, I don't believe in God, but how can these things impact me? But I could still talk to her about these. But she didn't say it in an argumentative or a fighting way because we're not clobbering them or putting them down. We're, we're giving them evidence over and over that what is in the word of God is trustworthy. And when you see the word of God mixed with science, it has this like amazing effect upon the human mind. Like, wow, really? That was in, you know, we showed you how the National Institutes of Health said that the book of Daniel chapter one is the first clinical trial in all of recorded history, right? We share these things and people are just like, really? The Bible has the first scientific study in all of recorded history that mankind has been able to find? That's pretty fascinating. And then you see point after point of the Bible mixed in with health and it, it does something very special. So just another example, Ellen White, we already looked at this, this text. What is disease? Disease is an effort of nature. To free the system. Listen, if, if our scientists, if our doctors use this as the, as the foundation of all of their work, 
It will help transform the way they work with patients. It's very, very powerful. Disease is an effort of nature. It's not a random chance. But disease is, a ran is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. Now, that doesn't mean always you didn't get exercise so you got the disease. It could be that there's, uh, you know, you're living too close to you know, nuclear waste, but it's still damaging the system, right? So it's not always your fault. That's not what this is saying, but sometimes it is. Disease is an effort of nature to free the system from conditions that result from a violation of the laws of health. In case of sickness, the cause should be ascertained. Unhealthful conditions should be changed. Wrong habits corrected. The nature is to be assisted in her effort to expel impurities and to reestablish right conditions in the system. So this is like the foundation of all true health science right here. Just like the books uh, Mind, Character, and Personality are the two greatest books on the planet on psychology and psychiatry, so too this is the foundation of how health works in the human body. And sometimes we're already affected and it's too late. But in general, if you're living a healthy life and then all of a sudden, meaning your, your body's in decent health and then something goes wrong, there's a reason. There's an actual reason. And so you want to discover the cause. And we even see principles like this in Scripture, Proverbs 26, verse 2. As the bird by wandering, as the swallow by flying, so this curse causeless shall not come. Meaning bad things don't happen without a cause. Now, the cause may not be your fault. It may not be your own sin, but something has happened. Something has happened within the physiology or external environmental factors, whatever it is, but something has happened. And if we can discover the cause and take away the cause, in most cases, we can actually reverse the disease that has been brought on by that cause. So we can, we can unite the Bible with the health principles. So notice this. This is from the Ministry of Healing, page 141. It is the divine plan that we shall work as the disciples worked, right? They had two things. They preached and they healed. Physical healing is bound up with the gospel commission. In the work of the gospel, teaching and healing are what? Never to be separated. So we should never just do secular physical work. Do you see that? It is always to have a, we are always to be a light to the world, meaning it is not God's calling for us to just be doctors or nurses or dentists, but we are to be medical missionaries, whatever we do. Now, and even if you're a plumber, you're still called to be a medical missionary, by the way, right? We're all called to be medical missionaries, but even as a doctor or medical professional, and what, how powerful would it be if our schools trained medical professionals on how to witness? Wouldn't that be amazing? God can do this once again. God is going to use us. What if we fulfilled the commission we've been given? How powerful that would be, wouldn't it? I mean, it would be absolutely amazing. But the good news is even if you've been trained and you don't know how, there's still options to learn how to get trained. You know, uh, there's different schools. There's things like, uh, you know, Teeny Finley's in the back. You can go talk with her. You know, she and her husband have a wonderful uh, ministry where they train people how to witness, right? And, and so then you have, you know, like the Mission College and these different schools. I know, I know two doctors that are friends of mine who they'd been doing medical work for years, but they didn't know how to witness. They took like two weeks at the Mission College. Three weeks, my wife just corrected me. Three weeks at the Mission College. And these women, you know, they, then we were invited to a Bible study down in Southern California that they were doing. And, and here they have all these people coming to their Bible study. 
And you too could have this, regardless of what you are. Even if you don't know now, you can find out. God can help you to discover how to do this so that the ministry can be mixed with the health work. The gospel ministry can be work, worked out together. So notice this. She says nothing in, in new fields, nothing is as successful as, as this, the medical missionary work. In new fields, no work is so successful as medical missionary work. If our ministers would work earnestly to obtain an education in medical missionary lines, they would be far better fitted to do the work Christ did as a medical missionary. By diligent study and practice, they can become so well acquainted with the principles of health reform that wherever they go, they will be a great blessing to the people they meet. Now, what, what to, I think about this. I, I just have a vision, like, this is a vision of what could be. What if we did this? What if our ministers were trained not only how to get Bible studies and work with souls, which is, ext- it's the most important thing. That's the most important thing. But what if they also had the ability to, when they meet somebody with type 2 diabetes, they can tell them the principles that 95% of people can change it by a few simple things. It's not that complex. And they could pray with them. They could talk with them. They could work. They could call them a week later. Hey, brother, how's it going? And, and what if they did this and people were like, hey, that, that pastor helped me reverse my disease that was killing me. My dad went blind because of that disease and he had his leg cut off. But that pastor helped me change so that I never had to, to go through that. Don't you think that would be pretty intense? And, and these things are so simple. I mean, within four years of school, we could easily teach this stuff. It's so simple. I mean, it is, I mean, it's just, yeah, I could go on and on. I won't. But so what if we actually did these things? How powerful. This is a vision of what God can do in our lives. Notice what she says. Everyone in our institutions, in our health institutions, everyone is to follow the message. Every single person. It says no line is to be drawn between the genuine medical missionary work and the gospel ministry. No lines. The two must blend. These two must blend. They are not to stand apart as separate lines of work. They are to be joined in an inseparable union, even as the hand is joined to the body. Those in our institutions are to give evidence. So people who work in our institutions are to give evidence that they understand their part in the genuine gospel medical missionary work. Do you see that? All of our workers in our health institutions are to know that they are a part of the gospel medical missionary work. It is not just a secular enterprise. Every worker in our institutions is to follow the three angels' messages. Isn't that good news? That God has given us this message. How powerful. And I believe we can get back to his message. I hope we can get back to his message. Because I think about this, and I think, do you know, it seems there are some prophecies in in the Old Testament that the Israelites never fulfilled. Not because they couldn't, but because they chose not to. Does that make sense? Not that God's prophecy was incorrect. I mean, Jonah said, you know, in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. Was Nineveh destroyed in 40 days? No, why? Because they didn't fulfill what would have caused them to be destroyed. You follow? So they chose to turn away from that. And as a result, they were not destroyed. But could the opposite happen? That God said, this could happen. This wonderful thing could happen. This wonderful thing could happen. This wonderful thing could happen. But if you say, well, no, I'm not going to follow what you say. Could it be that the wonderful thing might not happen then? You see, but what if it did? What if we just said, hey, you know what? God said these things. Let's just try it. Let's just test what he said. Let's find all the benefits in our own life and then share with the world what Jesus has done for us. Because nothing's so powerful as your personal testimony, right? And so let's do it. Like, let's actually fulfill what God is calling us to do. So 
she says a solemn dignity is to characterize genuine medical missionaries. They are to be men who understand and know God and the power of his grace. So just some quick examples. I'm not even, I'm not a doctor. I've, I've done, I make a living as a documentary filmmaker and I travel around speaking. And so, but as we've just been able, just the last like couple months or so, just, just sharing some of these things, just a few, just a few things. We had a, we had a diabetic lady um, coming. She was diabetic and depressed in Maine. She was coming with her pastor husband from the Pentecostal church. And as she saw these things, uh, within, within eight days, well, okay, the first weekend, we're presenting the Bible, principles, and the gut-brain connection. And her husband said, I've never seen, the, I've never seen these principles from the Bible before. I, I see it. It's right in there. I can't believe I've never seen these things. And then, so he invited me to the Pentecostal church. My wife and I went to the Pentecostal church. We're preaching in the, we're teaching the health and the biblical principles. And the, the pastor of that church was a diabetic. The wife was a diabetic of, of, the, of the other pastor. And so she comes, and this is eight days later after we, we had just spoke, started speaking at the other place. And she tells the people, she, her blood sugars were 150s to 170s. And within eight days, now, if you get to under 126, you're a non-diabetic. You're a pre-diabetic, actually. But she, within eight days, was down to 126. She was a point away from being a pre-diabetic in eight days. Eight days, you know? And, and then she, she testifies in front of this church, these, this Pentecostal church. She's like, these people, these people, you know, she said, uh, well, first she, first she said, my de- she told us about her pain was gone. Her de- diabetes was almost in the, in the, you know, pre-diabetes range. And that she also said her depression was gone in eight days. Eight days. And my wife said it, but she said to the other people there, she said, she said, Go to the church in your town. She told a friend who was sick. She said, go find the Adventists. Tell them what's wrong with you, and they will heal you. <laughs> now, you know what? I hope she finds an Adventist that could help her. You know, I really, I really. But this is the thing. We could. It's so simple. Every one of our high school students could come out knowing this stuff. Every one of our high school. It's so simple. And if we presented these principles to young people, they would know it. They would come out like little geniuses from our high schools. If we mix together, they could all come out knowing how to give every Bible study already by the time they're done with high school. And they could know how to do the simple lifestyle changes that could change the world. And this is at high school. So no matter what they go on to do, they are already transformed people in this world. Yes. Yes. We showed a chart by the British Medical Journal that shows for almost every kind of fruit, it lowers your chances of having type 2 diabetes. What's that? Yes, but fruit is actually, and what was interesting too is that even dried fruit causes you to have, like for instance, uh, dates, strangely enough, are 80% sugar by weight. Extremely high in sugar, right? I'm almost nothing. That's more than Fruit Loops, by the way. But did you know, did you know that dates are low glycemic? Now, yes, and, and the question is why. The question is why, because God made them that way, and so the fiber there gives a slow release of the glucose that's in it. So I'm not saying to go eat a ton of dates necessarily to a diabetic, but meaning in fruit in general. Now, there are a few, like melons can actually cause some trouble to a diabetic, but several, especially like berries and these kind of things are phenomenal for, for type 2 diabetics. Yes. Yeah. And so with that, you're saying is like eating fruit that's lower on the glycemic scale, 
How about this, bro? I will talk more. I, I want to finish, and then, and then we can talk more afterward. But I, I don't mind talking at all. But I just don't want to get too far off the subject and keep everybody long. So the second person, just another person. So this was just, uh, just after being in Maine. We went to California. And there was a woman there. She had her blood sugars were 2 to 300. So she was, a serious, she was in serious issues with diabetes. Remember, 126, under 125 and below, you're in the pre-diabetic. Once you get down under 100, you're in the you know, safe zone. And she, or safer zone, and this woman, within a week and a half, her blood sugars went to two to, from 2 to 300 to 127. Week and a half. So you're talking like 10 days. The point is this. The changes can take place so rapidly in people's lives. And we're not, we're not doctors. We're just telling people these simple things. We're not telling them, like, you can't take your drugs, don't take your drugs, nothing like that. We're just telling them, listen, keep working with these things, but please work with your doctor because as your dr- blood sugars drop too low, you need to be telling your doctor so that he can get you off of them because you don't want to go too far below because you could actually, you know, like go into a diabetic coma or something like that. So you need to know some things. But the, the point is we, we want them to work with their doctors. We're not their doctors. We're just telling them simple health principles that anybody could share, Right. And how powerful, for the first time, I feel like I'm beginning to partake in Jesus' ministry of healing and teaching about Christ. Mixing those two things, it's so simple. So uh, we had, so then uh, at the next church we went to in California, just just a few weeks ago, this, uh, this woman was coming with sleep apnea, a Filipino woman was coming, and after seven days, her husband came and he said, my wife's sleep apnea is gone. In seven days. These things are miraculous, right? And it's no glory to us. It's the simple principles that we were given in these old books, right? We were given these things, and it's, it's miraculous what is happening, literally miraculous. We, we had a doctor come to us. We were teaching in another country, and we were teaching, teaching to uh, medical professionals and medical students. And as we were teaching them, uh, I didn't know one of the doctors there was depressed, as many doctors are when they're going through their residency and so forth. And then we came back to that country a few months later, and uh, we flew back there, and he, he wanted to be the one to pick us up from the airport and escort us to the venue where we were going to be speaking. And, and he said, you know, the reason I wanted to, uh, you know, talk with you is because I wanted to share with you what's happening. As you had taught us about the gut-brain connection, and as he, as he had implemented the principles of the Bible, spirit of prophecy, and the gut-brain connection, as he implemented them, his depression began to go away, and he was feeling so much better. And it just, it, it thrills my soul to see people's lives changed as a result of these things. So we can be good to people in sharing them the three angels' message, which is a necessity, but we can help them with their physical life right at the same time. We can mix these things together. And we don't have to be doctors to do it, but you could be. A doctor can do a powerful work that many of us cannot do, right? So a key to success in working with people, Ellen White says, if we wish to do good to souls, our success with these souls will be in proportion to their belief in our belief in an appreciation of them. That's heavy. Like, what does that mean? If we want to be successful in working with people, it's going to be in proportion to their belief Kind of like this. Let's say it this. It, it, my success with you, will, it, will be, it will be similar to your belief in my belief in you. Meaning if you really believe that I believe you can do it, you're more likely to do it. Does that make sense? And so even as I was working with this Pentecostal pastor, you know, he's overweight. He's unhealthy. And I said, brother, I know this can help you. If you begin to implement, you're going to find benefits. And he said, thank you. And I could tell he just, meaning when someone believes that you believe in them, they're more likely to actually do something. But if you act like they're not going to do it, guess what? 
They're probably not going to do it, right? And I know not everybody is going to do it. But we're going to look at some fascinating things here. You say, well, you know, how many people are going to go on a fully plant-based diet? So few people are going to do it. How, you may have heard of Dr. Esselstein, one of the top scientists in the United States. He also, he did the second, you know, official study that clearly showed you could reverse heart disease, the plaque in the arteries, atherosclerosis. And Dr. Esselstein is basically a secular individual. He's done a wonderful work, but he's a secular man. He's not coming from a religious vantage point. So how much success was he able to get in getting his patients to be vegan and reversing their heart disease? Check this out. He had 89% compliance and 199 patients with a plant-based diet with no oil. Could you imagine almost a 90% success rate with your, your patients? Most doctors just imagine right away, what? My patients will never do this. They're, they're not going to do it. And you know what? You're right. They will never do it. His patients will. But if you believe they will never do it, they will never do it. Does that make sense? Yes. We have to believe in people. That they are not just a bunch of slobs that can't do anything, right? Uh, even though many people are that way. But, but if we actually believe that through the power of Jesus Christ, that yes, they may be a drug addict, yes, they may be an alcoholic, but God can change the drug addict. He can change the alcoholic. He can change the person who is, is eating food like crazy and, and struggling with whatever, or being overweight or diabetes or heart disease. That if we really believe that there's a power in, in God, in Jesus and the Holy Spirit, that these things can happen, friends. God can do something. And this secular guy gets 90% compliance almost. What could happen with the Holy Spirit? Right? So, what are our centers to be like? You're thinking, you know, massive centers. Notice what we're told. We're told about home-like health centers. It is that thirsting souls may be led to the living water that we plead for sanitariums, not extensive massive san mammoth sanitariums, but home-like institutions in pleasant places. What did we see yesterday? We saw the science shows that when people are near nature and look out on greenery and deciduous trees, that it actually causes them to have less time in the hospital, a quarter amount of the drugs that they need, and they just they have less depression as a result when they're when it's when they're looking out on nature versus looking out on, you know, brick walls and so forth. So we saw this. She said they should be in pleasant places. This is what science shows. Medical ministry says this, never never build mammoth institutions. Isn't that interesting? Never, not, not just never one time, but never, never build mammoth institutions. Let these institutions be small. And let there be more of them. That the work of winning souls to Christ, what? The, what, what, the work of winning souls to Christ? What, what do you mean? This is a medical institute. But what's the purpose? Winning people to Jesus Christ. That the work of winning souls to Christ may be accomplished. It may often be necessary to start sanitarium work in the city. This is interesting. But never build a sanitarium in a city. Well, then how would you start it in the city? Rent a building. And keep looking for a suitable place out of the city. The sick are to be reached not by massive buildings, but by the establishment of many small sanitariums, which are to be as lights shining in a dark place. Isn't that interesting? So they should be small home-like institutions. What she says is once they get big, it's very hard to keep them spiritual. Isn't that interesting? Do you think she was right about that? What you've seen in this seminar is that she was always right, right? And it's not because she was anything. She was a human. But she was connected with God. And when we connect with God, 
we can be a great blessing to the world, right? We can do a great work for Jesus. So never, never build mammoth institutions. So what's the purpose of these places? If the sanitarium connected with the closing message fails to, to lift up Christ, and the principles of the gospel is developed in the third angel's message, so they need to be presenting this message, it fails in its most important feature and contradicts the very object of its existence. Secular medical work we were not called to be a part of. We were to, yes, we were to do surgeries and do wonderful works of healing, absolutely. But it needs to be combined with the three angels' messages. So, is it a secular work? We've already answered that. It would be a serious mistake for you to accept the worldly position where it would not be possible for you to do the medical missionary work that God desires you to do. So for our medical professionals, God in love says, listen, if you can't share the gospel where you are, God has another job that's better for you. Isn't that wonderful news? That God has a place for you. That may, you know, it may scare you, but the good news is he has something better that's going to be way more fulfilling than you could ever imagine. What if you could take 500 people to heaven with you who never would have gone if it weren't for you? Wouldn't that be an amazing thing? That every time they walk by in heaven, they're like, brother, thank you. I can't believe I'm here. And I never would have made it if it weren't for you. Right? I mean, you know, doctors have such an opportunity, but we should never make the mistake of taking a job that we cannot spread the gospel in. Right? You say, but Chad, that goes against ethics. That we shouldn't share the gospel to patients. That, that's an ulterior motive. Now, if, let's say I was uh, Bill Gates. I'm not, just in case you don't know. But if, if, if I were Bill Gates and I had like $50 billion and I loved meeting people just so I could pay off their mortgage, you'd be like, that, I can't believe you have such an ulterior motive when you meet people. No, you'd be like, I want to meet you too, right? <laughs> now, what if my ulterior motive was to help you to learn the way of eternal life? Where you get to walk on streets of gold and that's my ulterior motive, and you think, oh, I can't believe you have such an ulterior motive. No, this is much better than paying off a mortgage. Yes or no? We can share eternal life with people. We can share about Jesus. So there's nothing wrong. The idea that that is ethically wrong is just not true. I could say something else, but I won't. So the purpose of the health centers, she says one of the things is educate away from drugs, use them less and less, and depend more upon hygienic principles. Uh, hygienic agencies, then nature will respond to God's physicians. Pure air, pure water, proper exercise, a clean conscience. Those who persist in the use of tea, coffee, and flesh meats will feel the need of drugs. But many might recover without one grain of medicine if they would obey the laws of health. Drugs need seldom, there's a key word, seldom be used. Not often, right? Most of the time, people don't ever have to take them, right? So, so now you think, but that was when drugs were crazy and they were really like a, a major cause of death. I'm going to show you the latest information from a Johns Hopkins study. The third leading cause of death in the United States. A study conducted by Johns Hopkins reveals that medical error is the third leading cause of death in the United States after heart disease and cancer. Over 100,000 people, it's somewhere between like 100 to 150,000 people die every single year of medications prescribed accurately. That's not the medications that are prescribed inaccurately. But overall, we find that medical error is the third leading cause of death in the United States. This is Johns Hopkins. So this isn't some like quackery group trying to like put down the medical work in the United States. 
They're just looking at the facts. And so, now this is interesting, but you think, well, yeah, but, but, but that's because there's no, nothing really good in the natural world to help people. What have we seen so far? We've seen some amazing stats, like statins help people live six years longer by an average of 3%. They do almost nothing. But we saw that changing to a, a whole food plant-based diet drops your chances of having a heart attack or dying, or having a heart attack or a, a, a case of you know, stroke or heart attack by 60%. That means 99.4% of people who stick to the diet have nothing happen to them, 99.4. So the stats on natural things, but you think, but, but aren't natural methods quackery? Well, that's a good question. Let's look into this. Well, first of all, some people think, you know, well, herbs, and I don't believe all herbs heal all things. You know, people believe certain things are healing that really aren't, but, but some maybe could be. And they've done studies, multiple studies, but what do they say? I'm going to share with you one thing. This is from, this is from uh, how about herbs and supplements? Now, I don't believe supplements in general are worthless, actually. Very few of them do any benefit, so I'm not some guy thinking supplements will heal all your diseases. It's mainly the natural lifestyle. But in the 2013 annual report of the American Association of Poison Control Centers, the National Poison Data Systems looked at uh, data on dietary supplements and herbals, and not one death was reported from the use of these substances. Not one death versus what is potentially one of the leading causes of death in the United States. That, and what Ellen White says about herbs, I'll show you in a minute that basically they have very little side effects. That's the benefits of them, right? Not that they heal all diseases, but some of them actually have been shown scientifically to benefit, natural methods, scientifically. I'll give you just one example of a natural method that has been studied scientifically. You, we're gonna look at the difference between dr a drug and a fruit in combating certain disease. This is fascinating. Now, what kind of fruit is that? Does anybody have a guess? You probably don't know. What is it? No, it's called Amla. Amla. We've been to India. I've been to India in like last 14 months. I've spent two months there, a month at each time when we went. And uh, this is an actual study on a diabetes medication versus Amla. And you don't know what it is, but you can get it at Indian stores. They sell it there. Not as a, not as a drug. They sell it as a food. They just eat it in India. It's, it's, it's the Indian gooseberry, an Indian gooseberry. And so it, but it's called Amla, A-M-L-A. And this is a study in the International Journal of Food Sciences and Nutrition, the International Journal of Food Sciences and Nutrition, looking at diabetic medication versus dried amla fruit. And what they found is they tested dia uh, the diabetics and non-diabetics with either one, two, or three grams of dried amla powder. Uh, with, and also, then they had the group, the first group, um, I'm not a medical professional, but it's something called like, you can, you can figure out how to say it. I'm not exactly sure. You may know as a doctor. Uh, but they, so what they found is if you take this drug and you start off with a blood sugar just up over 130, so they're not super high, but they're just within the diabetic range, within a week they get under the diabetic range, and then by the end they're, they're doing okay. And that's three weeks, though. And then if you take this, this is taking now AMLA, and this is... Uh, this is taking one gram, and notice you're not doing quite as good, but they started off a little higher anyway than the, the other group. But what if you take two grams? Well, you do even better. If you take three grams of dried amla a day, you end up doing better than the drug medication within the same amount of time. Now, this is fascinating. So this dried amla powder, you, you can buy it. I, I mean, I have some of this stuff. You can, it's not the best tasting stuff. It's like a very sourish. It's not the best, but you can just you know, put it in your, you know, cereal or on your oatmeal or what have you and Indians they drink this on the street I mean it's just it's a common fruit in India 
And um, we've seen it right on the side of the street when we've been in India. And um, give, give you another one. Here, so here's AMLA versus cholesterol. How does AMLA do versus cholesterol? Uh, he, here's the medication. Or no, 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 this is not the medication. This is actually just the, this is what AMLA does. You start off at 226, so you have, you have, high, you have high cholesterol. Within three weeks, you're down to 168. This is crazy, right? And this is a scientific study that was done. Here's another one, AMLA versus triglycerides, right? What do we see? Three grams of AMLA. You start off at 282, and in three weeks, you're down to 134. So now this is the thing. Most doctors are never, ha they never have one class in nutrition. So they, they haven't actually studied the nutrition studies, legitimate scientific studies that are done on these things. So it's not that, it's not that, uh, there aren't legitimate studies. It's just that they're not really promoted within the standard medical system. And so could it be that what we were told was actually true? Now, you may be thinking, well, who knows? Maybe Amla is super expensive. You just couldn't afford even a dose of the stuff, right? Well, I, I, after buying some, I, I did the actual measure. You know, I, I did the math to figure out how much it would cost for one daily dosage. And what I found, how much does it cost for a dose? It's six cents per serving. Six cents per serving for something that's more successful than at least this. Now, this isn't the most popular. This isn't, uh, uh, you know, taking metformin or something like that. But the fact is it got them into the non-diabetic range in three weeks anyway, right? In the non-diabetic, I mean, you know, it's, it's amazing what happened. So, yeah, I mean, and how nice is it to be able to teach people that even if they didn't have health care, hey, you got six cents, you know? I mean, you can do something to potentially help. But listen, I want to say this too. Drugs or even remedies are not as important as living a healthy lifestyle. What's much better than AMLA, I'm not someone who thinks, oh, AMLA can, well, can actually it does, it does help significantly, at least in the study, but I would rather have people eat healthy so that they don't even need the AMLA, right? But if you need that for a while to just get it down within a healthy zone, but in general, if you would just simply eat healthy within a few weeks to six months at most, 95% of people will reverse their diabetes anyway. So type two anyway. So let's go. But you need to be very careful if you take medications like insulin because it could push your blood sugars too low. I'm just giving that as a side note so somebody doesn't get hurt with AMLA. But, but that's just because you're taking the drug. It could force your blood sugar too low. And I don't know what happens after a longer term study. That was only three weeks, but let's go forward. But they don't know of any side effects presently. I've looked into that also. So let's go into this. So uh, this, what does Ellen White say about this? If, if, if there are benefits in nature, maybe God should have just told us, right? Well, what does he say? The Lord has given us some simple herbs of the field. That's not an herb, but it's a natural plant. Some simple herbs of the field that at times are beneficial. And notice at times. It doesn't mean every herb heals cancer or whatever like people say. And if every family were educated in how to use these herbs in case of sickness, much suffering might be prevented and no doctor need be called. These old-fashioned simple herbs used intelligently would have recovered many sick who have died un under drug medication. You say, well, that was back then. Nobody dries of drug medication today, right? <laughs> oh, uh, okay. Well, I guess it's still going on strangely today. But let's go forward. She says, there are simple herbs and roots that every family may use for themselves and need not call in a physician any sooner than they would call a lawyer. <laughs> She's kind of funny sometimes, isn't she? I think she had a sense of humor. She probably had a smile on her face when she wrote that, I imagine. Uh, but meaning, are there actual scientifically proven things that are beneficial? Yes, right? So maybe if we would attempt those, we would be able to have people use much less and less drugs. What she actually said this, we should use drugs less and less until we use them no more. Now, and, and, and you think, well, that's crazy. What, what if people would be sick? What if, if we would have actually tried it and we would have found all the things that work 
and we would have come up with new discoveries of natural things, and actually we would have had better answers than the medical institutions. What if we would have fulfilled what God had said? Not that we would just be crazy and not help people, but instead we would, because somebody had to figure these things out, and we were told them beforehand, so if we would have tried it, we would have been the ones to figure it out, right? And I'm not trying to just be like selfish here, but God has given us this message before it ever happened. So let's go forward. We're almost done. Should drugs never be used? No, there are, there are certain cases, you know, in and, and acute disease and, and, you know, and you could do whatever you want. If you want to take them all the time, that's your choice. I'm not judging anybody. But in general, many of these drugs really don't help almost at all. And some of them do. Some of them have benefits, no question. But many of them have side effects, too, that are lifelong and debilitating. So you could use them much less if we were living by the health principles. But yes, I mean, if somebody's dying and they need surgery, you don't tell them, you know, just bite this stick and, you know, uh, it'll get you through. You know, I mean, there's a time where you may need to do certain things. We understand that. We're not, we're not going off the deep end here. But medical missionaries, we're almost done. As, as a means of overcoming prejudice and gaining access to minds, medical missionary work must be done. Not in one or two places only, but in many places where the truth has not been proclaimed. We are to work as gospel medical missionaries to heal sin-sick souls by giving them the message of salvation. This work will break down prejudice as nothing else can. Now, did you know, I, I don't have time to read it, but she says a doctor can do tenfold more than, the medical, than, than, than the past, a pastor can do. But, a, but they can only do that if they share the gospel. Yes or no? Meaning just healing bodies, atheists can do that, right? With, with the normal drugs, they can do the exact same thing any Adventist doctor can do if we're not sharing the gospel, right? We have to give them not only the physical life, but eternal life, right? And some of the patients, they're going to die anyway. And I don't mean that to be funny, but you could help save their soul in the process of going into the grave, right? So you have that opportunity. Now, Probably two more things and we're finished. Actually, no, just a few more. So end time issues. Ellen White tells us that it is a, it, as religious liberty becomes difficult in, in, the, in the world, she says we need to use the health message. And she says we need to learn for ourselves so we can take care of ourselves when difficult times come upon our nation. So we want to do that. I don't have time to read it. But one of the professors I was just talking with recently from one of our, one of our colleges, he said the young people, the millennials, won't be helped by the health message. They eat terrible our longevity will not continue. I hope to be a part of changing that. Friends, we don't have to have this happen. We can be a light to the world. We can be changed. We can be transformed. I know he's right if we just let things continue. But if we are a witness, if we share the light with each other, if we take, you know, listen, you may not have diseases because you're young people, but in, in a few years, many of you will if you continue on the standard American diet. So by changing, you could find all the benefits. This has been a vision of what could be. And check this out. This is one of the most powerful things we're going to close with. The Victor Valley Medium Community Correctional Facility in Adelanto, California. It was a prison. This is a prison with 500 inmates. And the, the, an Adventist businessman, a, a very successful Adventist businessman, started this place. One of the most powerful things you've ever heard. You, this is amazing. So what happens is he, he, a very successful multimillionaire Adventist businessman, starts this place, and they, they have two sides to the prison. You could either choose to be on the new start side of a vegan diet, occupational training, Bible studies, and anger management classes. Or you could be on the standard prison diet on the other side. But you couldn't actually live on both sides. You actually had to live on two separate places. And one of the... California Department of Corrections government officials said, no way. These guys will never do this. They would rather burn the place to the ground 
then do this. Do you know what percentage of... Now, they got to choose because Adventists believe God is a God of freedom and choice. He doesn't make you become vegan. You get to choose, right? So they gave them the choice. Just guess what percentage chose to go totally vegan. Somebody said 80. Yeah, actually, it was 85% of them. You know what I say? You know why all these criminals and gangbangers and, and thugs went vegan? Because these people are hardcore. <laughs> these people are willing to be different, right? They're like, yeah, I'm a vegan, right? Me and my boys, we're, we're vegan, you know? You go watch it on YouTube, UPMI, United Prison Ministries International, I think it's 209, 902. You look up that video, you watch the videos, these guys are changed. So what happened? United Prison Ministries International, UPMI 902. It's on YouTube. Uh, so check this out. But this, so 85% so of them went vegan. What happened? The recidivism rate in California at that time, that means the statistical rate at which they went to prison once and then got out of prison and then went back to prison was 95% in California. So if you commit a crime, there was a 95% chance that you'd be back in prison soon after that. 95%. While the Adventists were running this institution, the recidivism rate from the people that went there dropped from 95% to 2%. Check this out. We just interviewed one of the guys who was the guys who started this. We interviewed him uh, to put him on one of our videos. And you know what he said to us? He said in California, the government realized, at first they were amazed and they were excited because these people, they were, they were kind, they were nice, there were no fighting in our prison. There was no, and did you know, these guys... To get baptized, they had to bring three friends through a Bible study series before they could be baptized. I was told that these men knew their Bibles better than our ministers. Because think about it. These guys knew the message. And, and then, check this out. So here they are. The government of California realizes this is phenomenal. What's happening? But then they also realize if this changes that 90, 92% of our people in California never go back to prison, we're going to have to shut down the majority of the prisons in California. And they realized that cannot happen. There's a lot of money in these institutions. So they shut down this prison. It's like your heart pff, just breaks, right? Do you realize what if, what if this is a vision of what could be? Now, this is the thing. If changing people's diet could change criminals, why didn't God just tell us? Check this out. Ministry of Healing 146. Wrong habits of eating and the use of unhealthful food are in no small degree responsible for the intemperance and crime and wretchedness that curse the world. Do you realize everything I've just told you in these last five messages we were told over a hundred years ago by a lady with a third grade education? How was she right every single time? Because she was in touch with something from beyond. God gave her the testimony of Jesus. The healing message of Jesus was communicated to us. And if we as a people fulfill the calling that we were called to do in sharing the three angels' messages, not just health, not just living out a healthy life, not just teaching about health, but sharing in the context of the gospel and the three angels' messages, changing people's health in their lives. We could change the world. We could have changed the whole planet's prison system. Do you see that? 
Friends, you could be a part of it. It could still happen. Just because it got shut down in California, you may be the one to help start it in, uh, you know, New York or in Georgia or your little community in your town. This isn't the only prison that began to implement these things. Another prison began to implement Adventist principles and rape, like, went, wait, prison rape went way down. Uh, hepatitis C just, just tanked in that prison. And the lady, the Adventist lady, got to go speak to Congress about what was happening in this prison. God could use you. We have the most progressive, you know, forward-thinking message. We could change the hood. Not we, Jesus could with this message. We can work with people in the ghetto. We can work with the rich. Everybody needs this message. God wants to use you and you're all called to be medical missionaries. How many of you want to be a part of God's medical missionary work? Amen. I'm going to close with this. The Bible says, Psalms 103.5, who satisfies your mouth with what? Good things, not rotten, nasty stuff you don't like, with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I'm going to give a few challenges in closing. Number one, if you're not on a plant-based diet, move toward a whole food plant-based diet. And I don't mean that you'll all do it overnight, but make progress. Begin to make changes in your life. Number two, I, I want to challenge you to try at least one time doing a 30-day whole food plant-based diet. Just see what it feels like. I mean, this is the diet that reverses heart disease, reverses diabetes. I mean, it's been proven in scientific studies. So just see what it feels like for 30 days. See how your mental state is better, your emotional state, your spiritual state. Try 30 days. Pick a time. You don't need to start right now. You can start a month from now or two months or whenever, but try it one time. How many of you want to say, I want to try 30 days at some point. I want to actually see what it would feel like. Man, look at this guy. Anybody else? <laughs> wow. Now, one more, one more. Now, I'm asking you a question. Are you called to be a medical missionary like Jesus and his disciples? Yes or no? Yes. All of you are. You don't have to be a doctor or a nurse, but you're all called. But you could, too. That's a powerful work. You could do 10 times the work that I can, right? And so the last one, uh, actually, I guess that was the last one. So God has called you. And if you are a doctor or a medical professional and you don't know how to witness, Talk to Teeny Finley, talk to Mark Finley, talk to Pastor Louis Torres, talk to some of these people who train people in how to share the gospel so that you can learn. And don't feel bad. We, we just stopped calling our schools missionary schools, you know? And so uh, largely we just don't teach people how to share. And I'm not putting anybody down. It just, it faded away at some point. But let's get back to it. Let's get back to sharing the gospel and learning all of us. I think one of the best things people could do is go to one of these short-term schools like the Finleys or, or Mission College. It's, it's like three months or something like that. I don't know what theirs is, but like 40 days or there's these really short schools. And if you learn to do it, you could be a light for the rest of your life and bring scores of people to heaven with you. Amen. I've gone way too long. Let's close in prayer. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I am so thankful for this message you've given us. It's changed my life, bringing me out of depression, achy joints, migraines, seemingly gallbladder issues, all kinds of issues. But I'm so glad I went through all those trials because on the other side, it's such a blessing to learn of your healing power that you gave to us. Lord, let us be kind to everyone we work with. Not, us, not be judgmental because somebody in our church doesn't eat the way we think they should. Help us to be loving and kind and promote it in the most attractive way possible. Not to go forth in fanatical ways, but instead balanced, loving human beings. Not putting other people down. If I've said anything I, I should not say, forgive me. Lord, I pray that we would promote things just as our beautiful, loving Savior, Jesus, would. Thank you. I pray that each one of us would be medical missionary works and this message that our schools would once again begin to present your health message in, its, its light, in light of the gospel. 
that everyone would become a medical missionary work in our high schools, in our colleges, whatever we go into. That even if we become a, you know, whatever we, a pilot or whatever, anything we do, we would be a light for you. Thank you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC 2017 Conference Arise in Phoenix, Arizona. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire young people to be Bible-based, Christ-centered, and soul-winning Christians. To download or purchase other resources like this, visit us online at www.gycweb.org.